Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. Our world is rapidly changing. From technological and social change to ecological and political upheaval, we live in a state of disruption. The Center for Creative Leadership offers a way for us to look at this disruption by focusing on the rupture part that is created by radical change. They say, first of all, that change comes at us quickly. It's rapid with new developments overlapping and creating a complex matrix of factors demanding an urgent response. It's just one thing right after another. But it's also unpredictable. Our attempts to analyze, strategize, and predict the future are frustrated as something unexpected happens, challenging our assumptions and creating the need for flexibility and adaptation. But the change that we face is also paradoxical. We falsely believe that complex challenges have only one right solution, rather than seeing these problems as polarities that need to be managed for both the short and the long term, recognizing that opposing viewpoints can both be partially correct. And then finally, everything is related to everything else. It's tangled. Seemingly unrelated circumstances intersect in hidden ways that evade our attempts to conceptualize and implement an effective strategy to deal with the change. Navigating this season of rapidly changing, unpredictable, paradoxical, and tangled mess relies less on focusing on command and control and more heavily on creativity and innovation. Even when the disruptions are positive, even when we welcome these disruptions, navigating the changing landscape in a world where we simultaneously know so much yet so little can be challenging. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. We witnessed the disciples experiencing the disruptive arrival of the Holy Spirit. Remember, before the Spirit arrived, the disciples hid in the upper room for fear of being arrested. But after the Spirit appeared, they were preaching the gospel in the streets in languages that they had never, ever spoken before. This miraculous yet chaotic and destabilizing scene is a perfect example of the rapid, unpredictable, paradoxical, and tangled world in which they found themselves. God was up to something, and they needed help making sense of the new reality. In the gospel lesson that Calvin read just a moment ago, it takes us back before Jesus' death and resurrection. He's giving his disciples their final instructions in hopes of preparing them for the time when he would no longer be physically present. Jesus knows, though, that the disciples are only going to be able to absorb a little bit. And so he says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You know, there's a reason that we have to live life one day at a time. It's because we can't bear to know everything 
about what every day of our lives will bring. It would overwhelm us. So, Jesus tells the disciples that everything he thinks they can handle, but then says, beyond what I'm telling you now, the Holy Spirit will come and take my place when I'm no longer with you. He says this, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own, but will speak whatever He hears. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. We don't have to know everything right now. And the reason for that is because we can't know everything right now especially when we think about God. So we have to trust the Spirit and trust that the Spirit will let us know what we need to know when we need to know it. Jesus goes on to say, the Holy Spirit will glorify me because He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is just simply saying here that the Holy, speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks for Him and for the Father. Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are so intertwined that they exist as one being. Here we're getting a glimpse of what the theologians refer to as the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is the doctrine that says that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, but still just one God. Obviously, it's a paradox. The Trinity can't be understood with our heads, but only with our hearts. And although our minds can partially grasp the concept of the Trinity, there's no way that we can make total sense of it. To borrow a phrase from Jesus... There's only so much of this mind-blowing concept that we can bear for now. There will always be more for us to understand. It's a mystery, and it's summarized in a unique mathematical formula that will drive any mathematicians here crazy. The doctrine teaches us that there are three distinct persons, but one God, sharing the same divine nature. They are co-equal and co-eternal, meaning that there's no hierarchy in this trinity. That God the Father is not above the Son or above the Holy Spirit. That they are co-equal and that they are co-eternal, meaning that at the beginning of creation, all three were present in creating. It asserts that one plus one plus one equals one, not three. We experience God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but God is one God. You know, even on our best days, our minds can't conceive the, the amazing God that we love and serve, much less get our minds around the Trinity. The prophet Isaiah reinforced this when he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah is telling us that God is beyond our comprehension. As human beings, when we think of God, we begin with human reasoning and human experience. And as a result, we imagine that God is merely just a bigger and better version of ourselves. But that's an insufficient view of God because while God, in fact, created us in His image and we share some traits with God, God does not resemble us. God is not just a human being on steroids. God is so much more than we could ever know. Jason Biasi, a pastoral theologian, describes it this way, God is categorically different from us in a way we can't understand, and our language can't describe. For us to try to imagine God is like a fish trying to comprehend a supernova. Only, it's infinitely and unimaginably more difficult for us than that. But here's something else. Even though our minds can only get a glimpse of God and this concept of the Trinity, we're still moved by what we see. And we're drawn in awe and worship of Him despite our limited understanding. We see enough to know that there's something about this God that we want to be a part of. St. Augustine, one of the most influential theologians from the 4th and 5th centuries, wrote, We are called to fully love the God we are incapable of fully knowing. Augustine himself spent years trying to understand the Trinity. He'd been trained in in the classical philosophies before he even became a Christian. And so he was a great thinker and he wanted to be able to conceive of the Trinity in a way that he could explain it to others. Well, one day, Augustine was walking by the seashore contemplating the Trinity and how he might explain it. In the distance, he saw a small boy on the beach with a shell that drawing water from the sea and pouring it in a small hole in the sand. Well, Augustine approached the little boy and he said, what are you doing? And the boy said, I'm emptying the sea inside this hole. And Augustine said, that's impossible. And the boy rose to his feet, looked Augustine in the eyes and said, what you're trying to do in comprehending the immensity of God with your small mind is even more impossible. And then, the boy disappeared. Augustine supposed that the child was an angel sent to teach him a lesson. Augustine later wrote, If you see love, you see the three, the Trinity. The one who loves the Father, the one who is loved, the Son, and the love itself, the Holy Spirit. What Augustine seems to be saying is that the closest we can come to describing the Trinity is when we describe love. God is love. And love is God's defining trait and nature. So whatever we say of God's existence, we must speak of it as being grounded in love. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit exist in community together, in loving community together. They delight in one another. But here's the beautiful thing. God created us to become a part of that holy communion with the Trinity. We often think that, that God created human beings because God was lonely. No, God was not lonely. God already existed in community. God delighted in the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. But, God said, this is so enjoyable. I would love to share this with others. And so God created others, created you and me, to be brought into communion, co-unity, with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and enjoy the fellowship that they enjoy with one another. Picture the Trinity this way. Now, please understand that any way we try to depict the Trinity is ridiculous. And so I'm not even really trying to depict the Trinity here, but I just want you to get an understanding of the relationship between the Trinity. Imagine the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all driving up to a four-way stop intersection at the same time you are. I told you it was ridiculous. You realize that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and you all arrive at the stop sign at your point in the intersection at exactly the same time. And we know that when you come to a four-way intersection, whoever stops first gets to go first. But as I said, all four of you stopped simultaneously at the same time. I mean, it was just right there, and so there was no logical place to start. So, out of love and respect for each other, you begin to defer to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let them go first, but they're deferring to each other and to you. No, you go first. And, you know, there's this little, you know, go, go. And finally, nobody's going, and so you decide, well, then I need to go, and you go. And, oh, at the same time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit took off as well. And so you had to stop again, and you kind of laughed. And, 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 you know, this synchronicity created some kind of connection that brought delight and laughter and joy into your life. I think this illustration demonstrates the deferential humility that's characterized in the interior life of the Trinity, in the life of God, as they relate together as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a love enthusiastically shared among them, but that includes us as God's beloved. It's so intense that it results in a never-ending dance of mutual adoration and celebration. It exists between the persons of the Trinity. But again, there's an open invitation for us to join in the dance whenever we want to. In our last sermon series, I talked freely about the need to love God and our neighbors. Deep down, we know that loving God is different from loving another human being. However, at the heart of any love that we have for anyone, 
there is an enthusiasm for the one we love. Oh yes, when we love someone, we can reason and why, we, you know, we say, oh, we love how she makes us laugh, or we love how thoughtful he is, or we love how much she cares for others. But beyond the specific reasons that we come up with as to why we love another, there's an absolute delight that that person is there for us to love. We celebrate their existence. Scott Hosey points out how in the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, Gilead, Marilyn Robinson, the author, has her narrator, an aging man in his 70s, Reverend John Ames, pondering the enormous love that he has for his late-in-life-born son who is only seven years old. But Reverend Ames is dying, and he prepares a letter for his son to read when he's older. And this is what he writes. There's a shimmer on a child's hair in the sunlight. There are rainbow colors in it. Tiny, soft beams of just the same colors you can see in the dew sometimes. Your hair is straight and dark and your skin is very fair. I suppose you're not prettier than most children. You're just a nice looking boy, a bit slight, well-scrubbed and well-mannered. All that is fine. But it's your existence I love you for, mainly. Existence seems to me now the most remarkable thing that could ever be imagined. Maybe loving God is like Reverend Ames' love for his son. It begins with the sheer delight that God exists. It starts with the wonder we feel when we try to wrap our minds around the vastness, the complexity, the unboundedness of God, just trying to get our minds around it. It begins with having enthusiasm for the God who created us and who gave us this universe to enjoy. There's going to be a super moon this week that it's going to be where the moon is as close to the earth about as ever, and it's going to be beautiful to behold, and we'll get to, to worship the majesty of God as we gaze on the beauty of that moon. Or it could be it's the splendor of a juicy, delicious apple, or maybe it's the blackberries and the plum in a full-bodied Malbec, or maybe it's the light-hearted singing of the bluebird that reminds us that God did this for us. God delights in us in the same way that God delights in the three persons of the Trinity. When the world around us seems to be rapidly crashing in, we can trust that God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be there for us. They can deal with anything. But sometimes we may not see how God is with us because God shows up in unexpected ways. 
Sometimes God's presence may even feel like a paradox or a contradiction. But remember that God's ways are not our own. And we need to trust that God is working for us. And then finally, because God not only unites me with Him in the Trinity, but God unites you and everybody else as His beloved children into the Trinity. God is forever working for the good of all of us. We are entangled together in the love of God. And even though it may seem like we're totally separate and apart from one another with our own desires and our own dreams, we are bound up together in the Trinity with God as His beloved children. And we are one with Him. So, no matter how much the world changes, we have nothing to fear. God shelters us in the intertwining arms of His love that is expressed as the Trinity. We are safe and secure in those arms. And therefore, we can say, as the Scripture says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, the co-unity with the Holy Spirit and the Trinity be with you all. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.org.